real quickly, just to kind of close this year out in a couple of quick things, but regarding the ATK, just to let you know, we are closing up the ATK for the year. Back uh, a year ago, we had this celebration where we identified about 10, uh, uh, 10 to 12 different ministries that were local, regional, and international. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth that we gathered together as a church to support to get behind, to send people, and it was very successful. So what's cool is after this whole year that we've been gathering the funds, we fulfilled our goal, which was around $70,000, $75,000, and that was because of you guys, man. So we were able to make sure that every different ministry that asked us for particular funds to help them do what they were doing, um, uh, we were able to, to give them that full amount. So anyway, we're closing that up. Well done, folks. Awesome job. And uh, man, there's a church in Colorado Springs that we help plant, not only again with the finances to get them up and running, but to send them our very best and a worship leader. So he's there helping them, making that happen. So cool stuff, well done, closing the books on that. Now, 2019, we've gonna, we're gonna have a fresh new missions endeavor, and we'll give you more information on that when we turn the corner. But uh, you can tell I'm ready to get into 2019, but we're not quite there yet. So let's do this Sunday, right? Let's close up 2018. And, uh, but I will say this also, a couple other things real quickly. Um, if you want to lead a small group, now's the time to let us know. Uh, and this is, again, leading up into 2019, we're going to start up our new fresh small groups. But if you want to lead something, you've got a creative idea, please let us know right away because we'll help you get set up. We'll do a real quick orientation and training to help you know how to lead a small group. And also, you existing small group leaders, let us know what your ideas are so we can get it on our menu and get this new year started off right. And then uh, you heard him mention the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Over the last half a dozen years or so, of course, we've been doing this for quite some time, probably at least 10 years, where we begin the year with prayer and fasting. Now, prayer and fasting is a very powerful thing, and I'm going to share more about that. But just to let you know, to mark it on your calendar, next Sunday will be the launch of that. We're going to go 21 days. Now, you don't have to go with just water only for 21 days and fast and pray. Uh, that'd be a great idea if you want to. I've done that before. Matter of fact, up to 30 days. You will not die, I promise you. And uh, it is a very, very awesome thing to do, not only spiritually, but physically, what it can do for you. But you can join in in many different ways. We will give you some details on that, but you can fast one day a week and fast a meal a day. Uh, other things you, that I'd really encourage you to fast are like social media, maybe even the television, turn it off. Uh, do different things during that 21 days, but don't just go without food or these things, but pray as well, okay? Take time to pray, maybe setting aside an hour every day or maybe you know, one evening to go on a prayer walk or whatever you, you, you wanna do, but to designate this 20, first 21 days to God. Now, what's cool is it's kind of a tithe of your whole year to offer it to God and ask God to bless the rest of the year. And I'll tell you over and over again, not only in my personal life, but here in the church as a leader, as a pastor here, uh, doing this as a church, God has, I've seen his favor over and over and over again. You're going to want to jump in on this. Now, we're beginning a new series today called Fresh Start that kind of goes with this. So not only we fresh start with having this time of prayer and fasting, but we're going to be digging into some scripture that I, I you know, some basic things, but basic, we're going to go a little deeper than maybe you have gone before. And so today we're going to kind of stir it all up. We're going to jump into the book of 1 John. All right. Small little letter, and, uh, but full of awesome truth, and, and you'll see why here. So this morning, so the, the subtitle of this series is Rebooting Your Life. We're going to hit the reboot button. You ever feel like you need to hit the reboot button? Yeah. 
You know, just like the computer. You ever done that before where you get it all wrapped up and it's all shutting down and nothing's working and you call your friend and you call that expert and, you know, somebody who knows everything about computers and what do they tell you? Have you tried to reboot it? Only to find out, oh, okay, yeah, right. And sometimes that's all we need. Sometimes we just need to reboot, get some of those basic truths, reload the basic truths of Scripture, get them reloaded into our heart, and watch what happens. It does an amazing thing. It works. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to jump in. So there are many beautiful truths regarding salvation in Scripture. We can find it throughout. It is our story. Eternal life, of course, is the great reward. But can we experience an abundant life here? Can we? I believe we can. You know, Jesus talked about an abundant life. Heaven is awesome. It is the end of the race. It is the reward. It is, I mean, it's hard to describe. It's so incredibly awesome. We're looking forward to that. But we should not have this whole concept of when we all get up yonder and that we just kind of suffer and live this life kind of just, you know, struggling and battling and, and not experiencing the joy of the Lord here. I absolutely believe we can. But we have to look into Scripture to find out what are some of the, the, uh, the, the, the truths, the secrets, if you will, of how to, to, to release that into our life. And so we're going to look at that. So I believe we absolutely can. Stuff that I've experienced, things that I've watched in other people's lives. So during this se- uh, series, I want to focus on the book of 1 John. And John captures something powerful. Being the longest living apostle from what we know, he had the chance to watch growth, the growth, the blooming, and the struggle of the early church as it fought off the deceiving attempt of the enemy to corrupt new believers with lies and interpreta- uh, misinterpretations. So some of us think that the first, you know, the church just was, because it was so close to Jesus that it never had any problems, that it just grew and multiplied and everything was wonderful. No, as a matter of fact, most of the epistles that you read are responses to some of the battles that the church was undergoing when it came to those who were kind of sowing deceit and lies among the believers. And so there was a lot of, of uh, misinterpretation of Scripture. So this, this epistle here, 1 John and 2 John, really are a response to some things that John is, is really going to try to correct. And what you might say, well, how is that relevant to us? I'll tell you what, it's incredibly relevant. Because in our times, we're finding a lot of, you know, mistruths, half-truths, unbiblical beliefs sneaking into the church in the form of the isms and the philosophies of man that are beginning to corrupt the truth. And so sometimes we just have to go right back to the Bible to get things set straight. And this is exactly uh, the, the heart of John here when he's, he's helping these group of churches. So, so in a very, <clears throat> excuse me, a very childlike way, the simplest Greek that you find in the New Testament, John uses, John instructs and encourages the churches who are combating an early form of Gnosticism. And you've probably heard that word before, but Gnosticism became full-blown later on. But this was the earliest form. And one of, the, one of the lies is that Jesus was not who he said he was, that he was just a spirit. If that he was going to be God, then there's no way that he, he could be human. And so they, they fought the idea that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And a... a, a uh, a struggle within the church that lasted really for generations. And so John is, is nipping this at the bud early, and you will see this throughout his writings as, uh, uh, as it's unfolded. And so, but what was going on was just threatening the, va- the very basic beliefs regarding morality, okay? What does the Bible teach about sin, and what does it t- 
Bible teach about, you know, uh, moral truth, belief in Christ himself, as I just mentioned, and then, of course, the testing of this faith in daily life. What we find is the book of 1 John is a circular letter written to the churches in Asia, throughout Asia, from Ephesus, where, where John was staying at the time. And he ministered uh, before his eventual exile to the island of Patmos. So most people don't realize that, that John was a pastor. He was an apostle, of course, and he went out and was planting. But as those churches began to kind of grow there in that, that part of Turkey, he began, what we now know as Turkey, he began to actually pastor these churches. Now, we will know some of those churches in the book of Revelation as he is familiar. So a lot of times we just think it's just a prophetic uh, proclamation to these churches that John really didn't know and that he was just kind of responding to in the spirit. No, no, no. These were churches that he knew. He may have even been in part of even uh, planting, uh, but he was most definitely familiar with who they are, what they were doing, the struggles they were having, which were very specific there in the uh, first seven book, or chapters there in the book of Revelation. So this is a circular letter. What does that mean? It wasn't directed specifically to one church. It was meant to be passed. So one church would read it and say, okay, we're good. You know, they couldn't make photocopies, they could, although they could copy it, you know, word for word with scribes, you know. But it was meant to be passed on from church to church to church so that they would have the influence, the impact of this wonderful apostle John. And since because he, he hung around the longest uh, John had the greatest impact on the earliest churches, uh, on some of his disciples, Irenaeus and Polycarp and others, who we get uh, even more firsthand accounts of what the early church was like. Those guys were important guys because they knew John. So John is the guy who's writing here. A tremendous amount of, of, of truth broken down in almost a childlike way. And so we're going to jump into that today. So this is part one in this series and I'm calling it Restoring Fellowship with God. Restoring Fellowship with God. Now, there's a couple other things that Paul or, uh, John deals with, but that's going to be our goal. That's where we'll end up here today. So our first point in this, as we look, as I break up this first chapter into sections, I want to look at the first section, and I am titling that, Jesus is Real, okay? And so what he taught was both binding truth and liberating to set us free. Okay, now John is jumping in on this, as I mentioned before, because there is this problem with, and of course the enemy would do this, to go after who Jesus was. And you say, well, man, do we still deal with that? Of course we deal with that. Man, just turn on the History Channel, and you you might even come up and find, you know, programs that say, is Jesus real? Or the, the historical Jesus. And if you watch it, what you'll find is that they've mythological, they've, they've made Jesus into a myth. And they've, they've said, well, even if he did exist, he was just a good man. He wasn't who he said he was. All of that came later as it was stacked on and the legend grew, so on and so forth. So in our times, we find that there is a tremendous amount of lies out there regarding who Jesus was. So in the same way, John is really uh, is going after this lie in these churches to say, look, they're sneaking in among you. They're trying to steal. Now, J- Jesus being who he said he was is incredibly important to our salvation, to understanding that, that what, he, what he said, so if, if he is who he said he was, then his words have impact, don't they? Okay, so if he wasn't, though, then those words, we would say, well, you know, you take them, you could leave them. Of course, that's where we are today. 
moral relativism, existentialism, and man, has it gotten out of control. We're living in a, such a morally confused... <sighs> Folks, if we really knew, if you really did see... I, I, in, in, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it here. I think our earth would almost stop rotating by the impact of just what kind of corruption and evil is taking out there. And, and it is. It, it, it would blow your mind. Maybe you know of it. Maybe you've seen it. But it's out there. And even good people that we would see as good people, people in Hollywood, people in politics, people in very powerful positions of control and of influence, at their very heart are incredibly wicked, evil people. And some of the things that they do to children, some of the things that they do to other people, make your skin crawl. It's scary. But that's out there. But what happens when it starts to creep into the church? That, my friends, is where we need to really be concerned. And this is what John is doing. John is saying, look, stop right here. We need to deal with this within the church. And so let's do it. In the first uh, three verses, let's jump in. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And this is capitalized. In other words, he's speaking of a person. He's speaking of Jesus. Now, he never uses the word Jesus in this section, but that's what, he did that on purpose because he wanted them to focus on the attributes of his humanity, his reality. It wasn't just a ghost. No, he's someone that they saw with their eyes, they hugged him, they touched him, they ate with him. He was a real man. But he also was the son of God. So he goes on. This life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. So in other words, what he said, what he did, his whole life message is a reality, which was with the Father, preexistent, right? And has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he is nailing that down right off the bat to say, look, Jesus, you know, of course they knew he was their pastor. And of course, he's referring to his first gospel where he talks about who Jesus was as well and him being God. Matter of fact, John, in his gospel, of all the four gospel, gospels, John makes the point that Jesus is God more than any other. Every gospel has its own specific theme, but John brings it home. Jesus is God, but he's also man. That which our hands have touched. We lived with him, walked with him, we testified to his reality. So he's jumping in. So look, this is the point. Folks, we gotta start with faith. We gotta start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you say, you say, well, that seems real basic in being a Christian. Maybe not so much. Because you know what? You can believe in him, but you don't live as if you believe in him. And notice what he is saying here is we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So he's saying, look, if you want to have fellowship with those who believe, then you've got to believe too. And here is the problem. Among the church, if you've got people who come among us and just say, well, I don't really believe Jesus was who he said he was. Well, we've got a little bit of a problem, don't we? We've got someone who now is not in fellowship. 
And fellowship is an awfully powerful word. It's more than just, you know, well, we get along. Well, fellowship means we can join heart, that we're, we, we serve together, we live together, we, we, we die together. There is this koinonia, which is a Greek word there, to mean that we share in a, in a deeper relationship, almost family. And so John is saying, look, if you're going to have fellowship, not only with us as the apostles covering these churches, but fellowship with one another, and you've got to start here. Jesus is real. And he is who he says he was. And if that is true, then what he said is impacting. Okay, let's not separate the man from his, from his message. The man was the son of God. His message was, it's time to repent. It's time to recognize that the gig is up. It's time to recognize that you can't keep walking in this religion anymore, that you must acknowledge the Son, that you must embrace the Son, that you must see that he is divine, that he is the bread, and he is the light. These are all analogies that John used. Very basic, but when you follow the analogies home, bread is what? It's sustenance. Vine, life. You don't live without being connected to the vine. Light. Oh, no, we're going to get into the light here right now. So we have to believe that he's real. And again, faith and, and action are so critical here. So you may say, now, uh, I'm sorry to get into your stuff here, but I'm going to go a little deeper with this. Even Satan believes. Okay? He's a believer. But is he a follower? Oh, no. He's a disruptor. But he believes in who he is. And that's kind of a little in your stuff, isn't it? I mean, there are a lot of Christians, quote unquote, who believe, but do they follow? And so I've actually given up on the word Christian. I don't even like to use it anymore. I think you know that. That my preferred uh, terminology is a follower of Christ because that is more determinant. That is more determining of a person who actually believes. Are you following him? Okay, we'll come back to that. So he says, and our fellowship. So do not be deceived by the lies that Jesus was not who he said he was. <coughs> Excuse me. John encourages us with his living testimony. And he says, I saw him. I touched him. I heard his voice. He impacted my life. This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. This is John. So he goes on and say that fellowship can only come with congruent belief. And again, this belief is targeted by the enemy, as we will see, as he knows is going on. So we should really take a, you know, one of these, these moments to kind of reflect ourselves and say, have I been experiencing an attack from the enemy to go after my faith? Well, certainly, as a culture, we've been seeing that. But Christian, have you been giving in? Christian, have you been listening to the lies? And, and at some point, you really need to cut that off. You really need to, to, to pound the stake down of faith in who Jesus is, who he means to you, and be willing to give your life to that truth. It's where we are. Now, he finishes in, in that section in talking about fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship with God, he says. Fellowship, but he says, he also says, fellowship with us. Ah, uh, you know what we've got here? We've got something that is very, very powerful that is so true regarding the church and our lives. Folks, if we're going to walk in this thing called Christianity, there's two kinds of fellowship we've got to have. We've got to have fellowship with God, and we need to have fellowship with our fellow man. Now, John is going to bring this home further on in, in, in our series. We'll, 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 we'll really unpack this. But he's saying, look, those are the two things of focus you need to have. 
fellowship with God, believing that he exists, being right with him, and then also being right with man. And here's the, here's the kicker. Can't have one without the other. Can't have one without the other. Matter of fact, in many ways, having fellowship with man helps you have fellowship with God. Having fellowship with God helps you have fellowship with man. Got to have both. As I am in fellowship with God, God turns me around and says, I want you to be in fellowship with your brother. And John will say that later with very specific terminology. So beginning with a relationship with God is what will unpack and lead us to the abundant life. Jesus taught, what did he teach? What, and, and, and so we, we need to get that straight in our heads first. Secondly, we go into the next section. God is light. John, again, uses an analogy. Where did he get the concept? Where did he get the analogy? Jesus himself. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, light, we'll, we'll look at that here in, in, a, in, a, in a second. But let's read the section. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. So where do you get the message? From Jesus himself. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Pure light, pure truth, pure exposure. No shadow, no umbra, no penumbra, no shadow of a shadow. If we claim to have fellowship with him, now, he's going after this because he started off with saying, look, you've got to have fellowship with God. But he says, now, look, let, let's, let's, let's bring this home. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Ah, interesting. So if I want to have fellowship, now, let's talk about, let's expand on this concept of fellowship here for a moment. We're not just talking about the church, are we? Let's talk about just being in fellowship with people. How about a good marriage? How about just with friendships? How about within your own family? How about your coworkers? Fellowship with anyone. Absolutely, we can expand upon that. That he's saying, look, that when we get right with God, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we are now capable of having life-giving relationships. We are now capable of being able to love and serve people the way they really ought to be loved and served. Now, I, I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but I'm just trying to help you so you can see where I'm going with this and see where John is going with this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what is walking in the light? It's walking in truth. And what is truth? Biblical truth. And what is biblical truth? Well, ultimately, it's the words of Jesus himself. And in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear what was the new command. And what was the new command? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to do what? To love our brothers as ourselves. He said, look, you do those two things, then you'll fulfill the whole law. So John is bringing it home to say, look, it really comes down to being in fellowship with God and in fellowship with your brother or your sister. The koinonia. So what he's saying is that it's the darkness that keeps that apart. It's darkness that keeps us from God, and he lives in unapproachable light. And it's the darkness that keeps us from having fellowship with one another. But here's the kicker. Here's, here's the thing. When we have a broken relationship with God, catch this, you and I are incapable, incapable 
of really having fellowship with another human being. Sorry, you just can't. Because of this, what we will see, this thing called sin. Get into that in a minute. And he says, so, but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Whoa, so there's a condition to this blood, this, this purifying, instead of just taking a wafer and, you know, reciting something? Is there, is, I, I thought it was just a magical incantation that I just spoke. I mean, what are we really talking about here? He says, look, walking in truth is the only uh, determining factor or prerequisite to being pl- cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And he's going to explain that here in a moment. So, walking in darkness will shut down our fellowship with God. Well, we can see that in the Bible, don't we? You see Adam and Eve. So they're in wonderful fellowship with God. Well, then they do what they're not supposed to do. God says, don't do it. They did it, sin. What is the first thing they did when they sinned? What's that, Tammy? That's right, they hid. They hid. They got out of the light and into the darkness. And that's exactly what happens Every one of us. I mean, if you really examine, we're like little kids on the inside. And, well, we see it little with children, don't we? When they break something, where are they? Oh, they're hiding, baby. You know? We just have become professional hiders. As adults, what we do is we go internal and we try to create facades. We try to create alternate realities. We try to create situations that will push the, the, the problem, the sin, away from us and distract Oh, man, we get good at it, really good at it. And to the point where then we just try, well, well, the ultimate takedown is to say, well, that sin is not sin, or there is no sin. Antinomianism, as it was called. It was creeping into the church, and John is saying, no, 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 sin is real, sin corrupts, as he will get into later. So walking in darkness, or, or not admitting what it is that's going on, it says, we'll shut down our fellowship with God, And so what is this darkness? It's sin, as I said. It's unbiblical lies. It's self-deceit. It's the love of the world. So recently I had a brother come up to me. And uh, he was only here for a short time. And it's interesting. And he's probably watching it. And uh, I won't mention him by name. But he he was only here for a time. And then he had to go with his job. He was hoping to be here for a year, but he was left. So he came up to me on a Sunday morning. He goes, Pastor, can can we have lunch sometime? I said, yeah, sure. You know, so we worked it out. We finally sat down for lunch, and he, and he leaned across the table, and he said, Pastor David, you know, I have, I've really, I'm excited about winning people for Christ. And, and he said, I've really kind of narrowed down some of the questions that I ask him. And he says, but one of the things I ask them is, you know, I talked to him about sin. And he said, and I began to realize it was very difficult for me to, the concept of sin, to ever come up in a conversation with a person who had no Judeo-Christian background. He said, so he asked me, he said, well, Pastor David, what is sin? And I said, well, it's, you know, being a, a theologian, and, and I just said, well, it's rebellion toward God. And he goes, yeah, but does that really speak? Does that, does that help people really understand what sin is? And I'm, I start stiffening up my neck a little bit. Okay, you want to, okay, let's go a little deeper. So we start going, and he's not satisfied. And I'm just like, dude, I'm getting ready to call this lunch. I've given you every answer I have. But he helped me. He was a loving guy. And he pressed me a little bit. He kind of helped me a little, dropping a couple of breadcrumbs, and I, and I got there. Selfishness. Sin is selfishness. And he goes, bingo. He said, everybody can relate to that. And since we had that conversation, oh my gosh, I've gone crazy with that. 
not only in my own life, but going through and studying the Bible, I'm going, he's absolutely right on. That is exactly what it is. Sin is selfishness. And selfishness in how it manifests itself is self-deceit. I'm being selfish, and so I try to deceive myself to come or cover over that selfishness. It's manipulation when I try to use my selfishness to get other people to do what I want them to do, right? And it even goes to God, doesn't it? So we try to manipulate God and twist his arm and, and try to change who he is and to change his words. But it ultimately comes down to selfishness. I thought, oh boy, so true. Matter of fact, if you look, and this is what, and as we were sitting there, the verse came to my mind. And I was going, dude, you just nailed it. And then in James chapter four, it starts in verse one. Listen to this. What causes conflicts and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the passions, actually in King James, I believe it says lusts, that burn within you. You covet, you crave, but you do not get what you want. You kill and you covet, but unable to get what you want because you do not ask God. And he says, and when you ask though, and even when you do ask, you ask with selfish motives and you do not receive that you may squander what you get on your own pleasures. That's James chapter four. And of course, I've used that in counseling for many, many years, but then it all came together for me. I was just like, wow, that is what it is. And it's very hard is selfishness. Selfishness, you know, to, to want to pad my own nest, to do what I want to do. And then it kept on going as I looked at Philippians chapter two and I thought, well, what about Jesus? Did Jesus show any selfishness? Philippians chapter 2 goes on to say that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He went on and made himself. Do you remember what it says? He made himself what? Nothing. Not only was he not selfish, but he didn't think of himself at all. To the point where he died for you and me. He gave his very life. The ultimate gift of unselfishness, right? Right? And the Bible goes on to say that we're to follow him. He said, follow me in my unselfishness. Bing, we've got something. Now, if you're like me, you're like, oh, crud. I can't do that. Because, I mean, selfishness is at the very heart of who we are. It's me, myself, and I. And what I want, I want now. I want it hot. And matter of fact, I'll tear a restaurant up if, if it's not that way. I mean, that's to the degree that we're talking about that selfishness has so permeated our life. It's how deep it's got into us. And so when you now take selfishness and sin, it's a, it's a lot easier to get our hand around this thing. Because we think of sin as, at times as just this, this, whole, this uh, religious uncleanness. Somebody wash me. Let me go through some ritual to have it removed. Uh-uh. John brings it home. Let's look at this next section. Forgiveness is the only thing that cleans it. Forgiveness is the solution to our selfishness problem. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, that's the only problem we got, is if we claim to be without sin, 
Notice he says, you see what the problem is here? It's our denial. It's not the sin itself. And I've said this from the pulpit many times. Sin is not your problem. And I know that seems like heresy, but it's absolutely not. Sin is not your problem. Our problem is our denial. Our problem is that we're unwilling to admit that we're sinners. Our problem is selfishness. We deceive ourselves. We'll go back to the, if we claim to be without, without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, here comes the solution. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get better, all right? I'm not going to make you leave, you know, deal with, man, Pastor David beat me to death with a word today. All right, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins, and here's, the, this is cool, and purify us from all unrighteousness. And all in the Greek is all. Every bit of it. That was just a little joke. But anyway, it's all. Every last little bit of sin in you, on you, through you, spoken, committed with your hands, conceived in your heart, is washed and purified because of what Jesus Christ did for you. But the only way to unleash it is confession. Coming into the light as he is in the light not looking for perfection from you. You don't come up and say, well, look, I've lived a great life this past week. Well, then be thou, you know, dissolved, you know, right? I'm playing. No, 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 no. No, when you confess your sins, you're a priest before God yourself. You can come before him at any time. You can stand before the, his throne of grace and ask for help in your time of need. And that, and, and, but it all begins with, Lord, I know what's going on in my life. I know why I'm out of rest. I know why I'm angry. I know I've been, uh, that things aren't going well in my life. It's because I've turned some sin loose, that I have not embraced my anger. I have not embraced my lust. I haven't embraced my, my, my misappropriated, uh, you know, um, funds or, or, or I've gotten myself into idolatry, my time. I haven't been worshiping you. I've been worshiping stuff. I've been worshiping people. That's what's been going on. So, you know, nobody is going to, you're not going to go into the smack up room and say, you know, I'm going to smack you up until you feel sorry about it. Uh-uh. You just have to walk in the light. And here's the cool thing is when in worship, whether it be your own worship or while we're worshiping God, it's meant to do that, by the way. If you start to feel a little bad when you're worshiping God, well, that's what it's supposed to do. But it's not supposed to leave you there. You start feeling bad. You you walk in the light. I've just stepped in front of the light and it's like, oh boy, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have looked at that. Man, what I just said to that person, what I just thought about that person across the room. Lord, I ask right now, you revealed it. I confess it as sin right now. It was selfishness in my heart, and I'm asking you right now to cleanse my heart. I access the blood that has already been shed and apply it to my conscience. Check this out. This is so cool. I love Hebrews. I'm going to study that one day for all of us. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 How much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through his eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. Now, you're not supposed to miss that part. Sin brings death. Sure does. Let it go long enough. It will corrupt you. Just like holding on to the ring, Lord of the Rings. We always watch that movie this time of the year. Don't know why. But anyway, there's a lot of awesome analogies there. 
Bilbo holds on to the sin, and what does it do? It corrupts him on the inside out. My precious. Some of us, we hold on to our car keys like that. My precious. Or whatever it is that you got. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. What's the goal? To be able to serve him freely with joy and with peace, with energy. Isn't that what the goal is? That this coming year, I am released to do all that God has called me to do. Not let me just sit around and say, oh, Jesus is Lord and, you know, in a robe and just hang out. No, 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 that I might be able to serve him with my energy, with my gifting, with my heart, with my passion, to love my kids the way I ought to love them, to love my wife and my, or my husband the way I love them, to, to be able to serve with an unabated heart in my workplace, that I'd be able to be the light. See, light will shine through you and me when we, 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 we embrace what John is saying here. But the only thing that shuts it all down is your denial, is my denial. We want to begin the new year, right? If you want to reboot, if you want to hit the button for reboot, then ask God to come and search you and try you and see if there's any wayward way inside you. Where is it that you have, that this past year that you've let some things go, that you've given in? You know, there's a lot of rage among Christians today, and I don't like it. And, and, and I think it's, it's robbing them. And they believe the lie that they can hold on to hatred. And John's going to get into that. I'm getting into my next week's sermon. Can't do that. But anyway, <clears throat> You, you, you got to let this stuff go, okay? And it starts with walking in the light and, and acknowledging, saying this. What, what is confession? It's coming to it in agreement with God. I've written some other things down here too. Behavior is best changed when we repent quickly. In other words, by keeping short accounts of what's going on inside your heart, then you're not as likely to start creating embedded habitual behavior that was for free and worth a lot of money. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Absolutely. If we will keep our hearts clean and get it washed every day, walking up on those mercies that are new every morning and letting God come, and, oh, Lord, thank you for catching, nipping this at the bud because I was really developing an attitude towards that person. Or I, I really kind of opened the door to that curiosity, to that particular kind of sin. Lord, I want to shut it down now. And so therefore, the habitual thing, the stronghold can't bite in. But if we let it go and go and go and go, then we do have a bit of a problem. You've got, you've got something that's really dug in head deep into your soul. Not to say you can't be free. You absolutely can be. But it starts with confession, repentance. Folks, you know, this. you might be even sitting there, and I, I believe God gave me this, but it's a great mistake for any believer to assume that all, Christ, all other Christians are hypocrites. I've heard that. Instead of looking at your own sin, it's like, well, well the rest of you are sinners. Why are you pointing your finger at me? We're not talking about them. All right? I don't push people into the light. Not what John was saying. We have to walk in the light ourselves. It begins with us. I don't care what other, I mean, I do as a pastor, I care what other people are doing, but as an individual, I can't, I'm not responsible for what you're doing. I shouldn't care about that. I need to start with me so that then I can love you and see. What did Jesus say? Deal with the plank in your own eye before you can remove the speck out of your brothers. It starts there. I can't have fellowship with my brother until I'm in fellowship with God. And how do I get in fellowship with God? Is I walk in the light as he is in the light, and I let him show me where my sins are, my attitudes, my struggles, my choices, and, and, and not react to him. 
So if you're sitting here today and, there, and there's a little bit of that Bilbo Baggins that comes up inside you, you know, and if that's what's going on, then know that that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's your selfishness rising up. I want to keep this. It's when you let it go. It's when you turn it over. Is there a fear that you'll never have it again? Yeah, that's real. That's genuine. And sometimes those are the very things that got to go and you never will have them again. Sometimes God gives them back once they're sanctified and in right order and right uh, a perspective and submitted to God. Sometimes. But it all starts there. Folks, if we want to reboot our life, that's where it begins. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, you know, there was a verse I forgot to read. don't want to shortchange you. It was in Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have shipwrecked their faith. So what we're going to do today, we're going to finish, we're going to up, we're going to right our ships. Then we're going to get our sails unfurled in the way of faith to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit because he wants to move us. He wants to move us forward in what he has for our life in this coming year. But it starts with not ignoring faith in a good conscience. Faith in God, he is who he is, and a good conscience, making sure that our heart is clean and right. Over the next 21 days, starting into these new, this year, this is a great time to do it, to wash yourself with the word, read it every day, fast a meal or two, ask God to show you, and then don't just stop there. Start praying for other people too. Start praying for everybody in our congregation that we as a people move forward in his heart for us and in the sanctifying work that he wants to do it. Because you know what? That's going to bring the abundant life you're looking for. That's what's going to bring it. Upending your ship, bringing it back up, getting those sails, recalibrating the direction of your life too, the God positioning system. Where do you want me to go, God? I've got it set now. Here we go. That's what God wants to do for you. Amen? Let's stand up this morning.